You are listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, or maybe you can get it on your phone, uh, you can turn to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be doing Jonah chapter 1 all the way through the end of chapter 2. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 17, and then Jonah chapter 2, 1 through 10. And so if you're able and you have a Bible in front of you, let's read God's Word together. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. The Bible says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I will look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple." Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. You know, there are some things in life that you learn by experiencing them. You know, we learn a lot through hearing, through watching, through reading. There's a lot of things in life that we have a lot of theories about. I know that before I was married, I had a lot of theories about marriage. But now that I've been married almost 12 years, a lot of those theories were not so good. Uh, Before I was a parent, I had a lot of theories about how to raise kids. As a matter of fact, before I was a parent, I would give a lot of opinion about how to raise kids. But now that I have three of my own those theories kind of are not so good anymore. You know, you can read a bunch of things. You can think about a lot of things. You can have a lot of opinions. But I've learned in my life that you learn the most through experience. And when it comes to your life, when it comes to what we're going on right now in our country, many of us have never experienced what we are experiencing right now. And yet sometimes God allows us in His great sovereignty to learn not by reading, not by hearing, not by watching, but by living through it. And this morning we are looking at a man named Jonah who had to learn some pretty powerful lessons, pretty deep lessons, and he learned them in a very unusual way. See, the book of Jonah, and maybe you're new to the book of Jonah, is, is an interesting book. It's a, it's a book that many people have learned as a child, the story they've learned as a child. But I want you to understand that the book of Jonah is not about Jonah. It's not even about a great fish. It's not about the city of Nineveh. The book of Jonah is ultimately about God and his relentless pursuit of grace and mercy for rebels who are in need. 
In chapter 1, last week, we looked through the book of Jonah in chapter 1, and we saw that Jonah disobeyed God. God said to Jonah, go, go, go. And Jonah said to God, no, no, no. And he is a man on the run. And yet, what he thought would be uh, a great excursion to the city of Tarshish ended up being something that was absolutely the opposite of what he intended. God sent a storm into Jonah's life, but God's storm in Jonah's life was not to pay Jonah back, as one pastor said, but to bring Jonah back. And now we're in chapter 2, and we've just really uh, read the well of a tale in chapter 2, and here's what I want you to get from chapter 2. Chapter 2 teaches us, it shows us how God's gracious plan gave Jonah a new perspective so that he could reach his one. Chapter 2 shows us how God's gracious plan gave Jonah a new perspective so that he could reach his one. So let's just look at those two things, God's gracious plan and Jonah's new perspective. Number one, God's gracious plan, chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah has just been thrown overboard, and as soon as his body hits the sea, it steals immediately. So in my mind, Jonah is kind of bobbing like a cork in the water. Then all of a sudden, the Bible says that a great fish like Jaws, at the right place, at the right time, at God's command, came and swallowed Jonah up. The word here, appointed, is actually found three times in this book, each of these times showing how God is orchestrating history for Jonah's life. Now, for you, you're thinking, wow, God, that's not very great. That's not very gracious. You're going to have your man swallowed by a fish. But I want you to understand that that was a merciful way. There was mercy underneath the waves. See, when Jonah had told the sailors to throw him overboard, he had resigned within himself that he was going to die. And he thought, I deserve to die. God told me to go, and I said no. And and I deserve to die, so he has now succumbed to what he believed would be his fate, but yet God had a different plan. God had a gracious plan that would save Jonah and would teach Jonah. See, Martin Luther put it this way, it's merciful wrath, that that there's severe mercy. And sometimes in your life, God allows events to go in your life that at the moment seem very difficult, seem extremely horrible. Maybe right now, with what we're going on in our country, things seem to be extremely difficult. You've got a lot of things that that are going on in your life that feel like the whole world is crashing in upon you, but yet it could be the best thing for you. See, that's what happened in Jonah's life. This horrible, difficult situation seemed very bad at the time, but yet it was God's best because what God was going to do in Jonah's life was greater than Jonah can even comprehend. You know, maybe in your life, you've gone through situations where you've experienced the merciful wrath of God, or maybe you've lost a job, or maybe you've lost a relationship, or maybe you've lost a house, or some sort of difficult situation, and yet it's God's working in your life to bring about not a good thing, but a great thing, the best thing in your life. See, the fish that God sends to Jonah's life is actually what's going to save Jonah's life. And and as this fish comes and swallows Jonah, it is the first big gulp. (laughs) And it had to be a very horrible experience. It had to felt like hell to Jonah. Some scholars say that the temperatures inside the belly of a fish would be around 108 to 115 degrees 
We don't know how big the fish was, but what our imagination seems to maybe think that Jonah is stuck in there. His arms and his legs are stuck. He is also experiencing gastric juices that would constantly wash over him, bleaching his skin. And you know the smell had to be horrible. It had to smell like an outhouse at the state fair. It was horrible. But I want you to understand, as horrible as it was, it was also a miracle. Now, yes, there are many stories that a lot of preachers tell on this particular passage about whales swallowing fishermen, and even whales that have swallowed, or great fish that have swallowed horses. But I want you to understand, this is not the same thing as those type of stories. This situation in Jonah's life was a complete work of God. It was a miracle that the fish was there. It was a miracle that that fish could swallow Jonah. It was a miracle that Jonah could stay alive in that fish for three days and three nights. And it's a miracle that that fish would vomit Jonah on dry land. Now, look, if you believe that God created the heavens and the earth, if you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, if you believe that he healed the sick and after his, after his crucifixion was raised from the dead three days later, this story is nothing to doubt. As a matter of fact, if God wanted to, he could have provided ESPN on a 65-inch television with an all-you-can-eat buffet and an ice cream machine inside that well if he wanted to. Now, even while Jonah is in the fish, Jonah himself realized that God had been orchestrating the events in his life. In chapter 1 and in chapter 2, we have kind of an interesting comparison. It's a comparison of both history and prophecy. You know, history interprets events from a human point of view. Prophecy sees events in history from God's point of view. So in chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible says that the sailors picked Jonah up and hurled him into the sea. From history's perspective, both Jonah and the sailors, they would both say, we threw you into the sea. But Jonah's prayer in chapter three, 2, verse 3 says this to God, you cast me into the deep. See, Jonah understood that it was God doing it all. And if you look back in your life, you will see the hand of God. Now, the situation we're facing right now, we don't have a clue what God's going to do with this. We don't have a clue. Some people are like, well, is this the end of time and God is setting up so that now we can have a one world government and, and, and the Antichrist can show up and, and Jesus is going to return? I don't know. We don't know what the impact this is going to have on our economy. We don't know what the impact is going to be. But here's what I want you to understand. God's in control of everything. And you don't have to fear. And when you look back in your life, prior to this moment in time, right now, you will see the hand of God. What maybe you think is something you did was actually what God was doing in your life. Now, I want to share with you one more thing that you see about God's gracious plan for Jonah, and that is that God is determined. You see how determined God is? Just as God set his grace for the people of Nineveh, he set his grace on Jonah. I mean, God could have easily given, given up on Jonah and, have got, and, and could have got a better prophet. Could have got another prophet. Could have got a prophet with no baggage. Could have got a prophet that was just willing to say, okay, amen, yes, sir, I will do it. But God loved Jonah. And God wanted to use Jonah. God had a plan for Jonah's life, and the good news is that God never gives up. You know, that man that I told you trusted Christ as his Savior this week, 
we sat down and he said, I can look over my life and see how God never gave up on me. See, God sent a great fish to swallow a rebellious prophet to prepare him for the work of evangelism in the city of Nineveh and for the rest of his life. I want you to think about this. God allowed Jonah to run from his call, get on a boat, get thrown off a boat, and get swallowed by a fish to transform Jonah's heart. God put Jonah through hell to keep Jonah from hell. What has God been doing in your life? Even in the midst of what we're dealing with now, God has a gracious plan for you. The second thing I want you to see is Jonah's new perspective. <laughs> you think about this. Chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says that then Jonah prayed. It's as if, if you read the narrative, it's after the three days and three nights. We don't know if he prayed during the three days or three nights or after the three days and three nights. I would tend to think that maybe it was within the three days and three nights. But Jonah has a very interesting prayer closet. He is praying in the most unusual place. As a matter of fact, in all of history, this is the only recorded prayer that we know inside of a stomach of a fish. But here's the thing. Jonah is now at a place where he can't run anymore. God brought Jonah to the place from running to now Jonah is in a place of praying. All Jonah wanted up until this point was to get away from the presence of God. Now as you read this prayer, all Jonah wants is to be in the presence of God. But God had to get him where he needed him to be. Tim Keller on this particular topic says this, he says that it's only when we reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all our schemes and resources are broken and exhausted, that you are finally open to learning how to completely depend on God. Peter Craigie said this, he says, but it's not until Jonah was all the way down, finally stripped of his own buoyant self-sufficiency, that deliverance was possible. The deeper work of God that took place in Jonah's heart was not in the belly of the fish, but it was in Jonah's heart. He gets a new perspective in the belly of the fish, and he does not lose sight of God in the belly of the fish. Now, when he gets out of the fish, sometimes it changes, but I want you to understand this morning that we should not lose sight of God and focus on the fish. A lot of us, when we're going through trials or storms or we feel like we're stuck in the belly of a fish, we focus on the fish. God wants us to focus on Him. And there's, I think, a greater miracle that takes place even than being in the belly of a fish. It's the miracle of Jonah's heart. And there's a miracle in three ways. Number one, what did Jonah get from being inside the fish's belly? Is he got, number one, a greater compassion. Verse two, I cried out to the Lord and He answered me. Over and over in this prayer, Jonah is astonished and amazed that God heard him and was rescuing him. He was amazed at the very mercy of God. Jonah was brought to the very end of himself. And here's what I want you to say. This isn't true in my life, that we don't see our sinfulness by being told. We see our sinfulness by being shown. 
Jonah was shown. And in verses 3 through 6, Jonah understands that what he was going through was divine justice, that he deserved it. He, he says like this, he says, for you cast me into the deep. Then I am driven from your sight. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Jonah says, I have gone down. I am cast down, not because of you, God, but because of me. I'm the cause of my sin. I'm the reason. Here in this moment, he saw the consequences of his sin and vivid display. He felt like he was descending to the underwater prison, a place of death, a place of condemnation without hope. He saw this as a divine discipline of God. And in this moment, let me just ask you, do you think that Jonah felt forgotten by God? And I would say, while he's in the belly of a fish, the answer is probably yes. But here's the question, was he? Was he forgotten by God? The answer is no. You know, some of you feel like that God has forgotten you. You've got a, a broken heart. Or maybe there's a shattered dream. Or maybe some sort of financial frustration or a lost job or a health setback. And in that moment, you think, God, where are you? Well, I want you to understand, he's, he's not forgotten you. Notice what he says in verse 6. He says, I was going down down, down. I was sinking down. I was sinking down. But then he says in verse 6, yet you brought up my life from the pit. In verse 7, he says, when my life was fainting away, you brought me in. See, as you read Jonah's prayer, he says, I was sinking down, but you brought me up. I was cast out, but you brought me in during the storm and inside of the fish. He thought that God was done with him forever, but the opposite was true. As I said before, God wasn't paying Jonah back. God was bringing Jonah back, and the only way that Jonah could be brought back was through the belly of a fish. You know, I believe that we learn the greatest secrets of God's grace at the bottom. We don't learn them always at the top. We learn them at the bottom. There's an old song that says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained with sin, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me when nothing else could help. Love lifted me. Jonah, in the belly of that fish, had a personal experience with the grace of God. G.I. Packer says this. He says, many people talk about grace, but for many of them it is an abstraction. It is not life-changing power. He says, how little we know of our true need, how little we feel the judgment of God in our own lives, and how little we really know the grace of God in our own lives. But God here brought Jonah to the place where he needed the grace of God. And that's why Jonah says in verse 8, those who pay regard to idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. That word grace is hesed, the steadfast love, the ancient covenantal term of God's unfailing mercy and love. 
Jonah understands that idols are but a substitute for God himself and that these idols can never satisfy and these idols can never save. And so he laments over those who hold on to idols when they could hold on to God's grace. Now the question is, who are the who? He says those who pay. Well, the great song is, who are you? Who is the who? Is he talking about the sailors? Is he talking about the Ninevites? Or is he talking about God himself? And I believe, or not God himself, but is he talking about himself? I believe here that Jonah applied the sin of idolatry to all people, but especially himself as God's prophet. Because Jonah thought it would be better to disobey and hold on to the things that he loved rather than obey and hold on to God. He would rather hold on to his identity, his racial hatred, he would rather uh, hold on to his nationalism, his life, more than he would hold on to the grace of God. What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to and forfeiting the grace that could be yours? Are you holding on to a friendship? Are you holding on to a bad relationship? Are you holding on to money? Are you holding on to health? Are you holding on to a bottle? Are you holding on to a pill? Are you holding on to a computer screen? Are you holding on to something like your pride or your desire for control? Are you holding on to those things and forfeiting the grace of God? You know, one of the things that I think could happen out of this whole pandemic is that we have lost, we could lose a lot of things so that we can get something greater. See, God's grace in Jonah's life will make his heart more compassionate to others. That's what you're going to see. Now, it's a process. Just because you've experienced grace, because here's what I see. You're going to see this as we go through the book of Jonah. That Jonah in the belly of the fish is saying, I understand it. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to go share the love of God with those Ninevites. But when he gets out of the fish, if you read the rest of the story, he gets it in the fish, but he's going to forget it on dry land. And God's going to teach him some more lessons. It's a process. But in your heart, as God shows you grace, you learn a greater compassion for other people. It's when you hit rock bottom and you see that your only hope is grace, that's when you receive it and now you want to share it because you say, you know what? I used to be in your situation. But look what God has done. You know, before you're ever going to reach your one, you have to realize that God reached you. And when you never get over the fact that God reached you, no matter how bad you were or maybe how good you think you were, God still reached you, it will give you the ability to reach other people. In the belly of the fish, in the belly of hell, Jonah learned a greater compassion. But the second thing he learned was a deeper commitment. This will not be as long as the first point. And I'm sure many of you online are saying, Amen. In verse 9, he says, But I, will, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Maybe as I'm reading this, I'm thinking that maybe Jonah is going back to the days as a younger person when he had received his calling as a prophet in his hometown of Gath-hefer. And maybe 
He's just going back to those days in which, you know, I remember when I was on fire for you, when I was willing to stand before Jeroboam II and proclaim the prophecy that you've given me. And and I made a vow as a young man that I'm going to preach your word and I'm not going to let the gates of hell prevail against me. I'm just going to do it. And maybe in the belly of the fish, he realized that I need to rededicate my life to you, God. Because on dry land... It was like, if you read the story, it's, it's as like Jonah would rather die than obey God and share the gospel with those people in Nineveh. But now you hear a different story. You hear that he is committed to obey God even if it means his own death. Deeper commitment. Here's the last one. A higher comprehension. In the belly of the fish, there's a higher comprehension. You find it in a shout. You'll see in your English version... The end of the last phrase of the prayer ends with an exclamation point. Here Jonah says, it's as if he is shouting at the end of his prayer, salvation belongs to the Lord. So just where you are in your your little living room or wherever you're watching right now, say out loud, salvation belongs to the Lord. That is the key verse of the book, and it is the message of the entire Bible. Everything in our lives points us to the fact that salvation is entirely of the Lord. That God is a saving God. Jonah, in the belly of the fish, praises God before he has any assurance that he will escape from the fish. He thanks God for his deliverance. He says, yet you have brought my life from the pit. Yet I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. How could Jonah praise God in the belly of a fish? You want to know how? Because he'd already received the release from his sin. He had been forgiven. Jonah's great release was not from the fish that vomits him onto dry land, but from his sin within his heart. That's why he ends his prayer with a shout. That salvation belongs not to us, but belongs to God. Therefore, God gets all the glory. See, Jonah knew something about the grace of God prior to being in that fish. In chapter 4, verse 2, he says, I knew you were a gracious God. He knew it, but now he knows it. He knew it now and knows it now because he had fully experienced it. He didn't have a full understanding of God's grace until he desperately stood in need of it and was literally saved by grace. There are three kinds of people. Irreligious people, religious people, and Christian people. Irreligious people don't believe they need to be saved. You see, are you saved from what? Are you lost? No, I know where I'm at. Religious people believe that salvation belongs to them, that they're trying to get to God on their own way, and they're going to be fine. But gospel people, Christian people, understand that salvation belongs to the Lord. How can we know that salvation is of the Lord? How can we rejoice with this greater comprehension that God saves? Here's why. Because the Lord did everything necessary for our salvation. See, Jonah was sinking, but he held out hope. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says, I was going down, down, down. And he says, I was driven from your sight. But he says, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. I'm going to look on the temple. Why did he say, I want to look at your temple? Why do I want to look to your holy temple? Here's why. 
The temple was the place of sacrifice. The temple was where the mercy seat was, where the blood of bulls and goats were slain. And the point of those bulls and goats being slain was to point to the salvation of God. Each of those sacrifices in the temple taught three things. Here's what the temple sacrifice taught. Number one, we are sinners who deserve to die. Two, we are unable to save ourselves. And three, we are saved by extreme measures. Jonah didn't know that years later, God would send his son Jesus to pay the price for both Jonah's sin and our sin. Jesus would die so we could live. Think about this. Jesus died so we can live. He would be cast out so we could be brought in. He would sink deep so we could be raised up. Jesus would be tossed overboard into the waves of God's wrath for our sins. Jesus would vividly suffer for us, not in the belly of a fish, but on the old rugged cross. He would be buried in the depths of the earth. He wouldn't just think he was dying. He would truly die. He didn't just give a voice of thanksgiving as a sacrifice. He would lay down his life as our sacrifice. He would be entombed, not in a fish, but in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. But on Sunday morning, the grave vomited him up. And death could not hold him. The veil was tore before him. He silenced the boast of sin and grave. And now the heavens are roaring the praise of his glory, for he has been raised to life again. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's a new perspective that many of you need to know. That you can't save yourself. What's going to save this world is not government intervention. What's going to save this world is not medical expertise. What's going to save this world is not economic relief. What's going to save this world is not a politician or a political party. What's going to save this world is Jesus Christ. And for some of you, you don't understand that because you've never experienced it. But when you've experienced it, it changes you. See, God has a gracious plan for your life. And that gracious plan will give you a new perspective. That perspective will be a, a greater compassion for other people. A deeper commitment to the God who saves you. And a higher comprehension that you don't save yourself. Jesus saves you. I want to end with this. My uncle Tony, who's my dad's brother, he grew up in church. But yet, as a teenager, like many people, he went away. He started living his life for himself. At the age of 18, he joined the Navy, as he would say, to see the world. And there were times that he said that he believed in God. And, and if you really pressed him, he would say, you know what, there was a day, there were many days that I prayed a prayer and I'm going to heaven. But really, if you pressed even further, he would doubt, that does God even exist? Is this really real? You know, I'm not really sure. And what changed for my Uncle Tony was at the age of 50, he was diagnosed with stage 4, grade 4 glioblastoma brain cancer. 
And I was there the moment he woke up from his first surgery. I was in the hospital room, in the ICU room, as he was there, and as he woke up from that surgery. And in that moment, we began to talk about God. And when I talked to my uncle, he was very bitter. He was very angry at God, and and he was also very scared. And the biggest question on his mind was, God, why would you do this? Why would you do this? God, if you're so loving, why would you do this? And so after months of radiation and treatments, he was still in his right mind. He was there in the, the kitchen of his house with my Aunt Debbie who was there. She made me watch him. And there in the, the kitchen, he just broke down. And she shared with him the things of God. And that night, my uncle surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. He recognized in that moment that that he was just stupid for living life for himself. I went and saw him afterwards. And I saw a changed man. A man who was trying to do everything he could to save his life through radiation and chemotherapy and whatever it took. A man who was strong, one of the strongest men I ever knew. But also stern. As a man who had joy. And he had peace. And he would tell me. He he told me this. I was at his house. Again, he was still in his right mind. Here's what he would say. He said, God is in control, nephew. And God is so good He gave me a roof over my head, food in my belly, and a wonderful family that loves me. But he said, you know what? He said, you know what, nephew? What I'm the most thankful for is that he never gave up on me. That he saved my soul. And he rejoiced in the grace of God because he experienced the grace of God in his life. And he shared that love of God until the day he died. Here's the question I want to ask you online. Have you truly experienced God's grace in your life? Do do you not just know about it, but, but do you know it? And I want you to hear me, church, that if you know it, if you really, really know it, then now's the time to share it. Because we have a world that is scared, that's panicking. And things are going to probably get worse before they get better. And if there was ever a time for we as the church to be sharing the love of Jesus, it's now. And if you're here and you're watching this morning, or maybe sometime later today, or later this week and you've never experienced the grace of God right now just as you are you can ask God to save you you don't have to meet a preacher to go to heaven you just have to come to a place as my friend did this week where you take that backpack that's so heavy filled with your sins and your shame and your guilt And you lay it at Jesus' feet. And you ask Him to save you. And I promise you on the authority of God's Word, He will save you.
God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Thank you for listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. For more information or how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.